Happy Easter. So uh, a woman accompanies her husband to a doctor's visit, and after the checkup, the doctor calls only her into his office. The outlook isn't good, he tells her. Your husband is under a tremendous amount of stress. If you don't do exactly what I tell you, he may not survive to the end of this month. Here's what you need to do. Each morning, make him a nice, healthy breakfast. Do the same for lunch and dinner. Always be in a pleasant mood around him and keep his spirits up. Don't burden him with chores or stress him with the details of your day. At night, if he's up for it, agree to any request for affection he might have. I think if you do all these things, he'll live a long life. On the way home from the appointment, the husband asks his wife what the doctor said to her in the closed-door meeting. After pausing a moment to collect her thoughts, she replies, you're going to die. I have to confess that about the only way that I could bring myself to speak of death on this joyful day, on this day, Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, is to make a joke. It was the conviction of the earliest Christians and remains the faith of the church to this day that God raising the crucified Jesus from the dead changed the world profoundly, in part because Christ's resurrection downgraded the status of death. In the scripture that you heard just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death doesn't have the same sting it used to. Something about the life and death of Jesus fulfilled God's longing to share God's spirit with all people. And when people accept that gift to unite their spirits with Christ so that his victory over death is ours also. And we know that death doesn't disappear. It's quite real. But death is swallowed up or subsumed into something else a spiritual community with God at its center. I've had to wrestle with this scripture on an emotional level. The death of people we love sure seems to hurt. And for those dying, leaving the world behind with its simple joys and its network of relationships, its meaningful work, perhaps family members whose lives are so closely intertwined with theirs that they fear ripping a hole in their hearts. What does Paul mean that death has lost its sting? He gives a hint when he mentions as an aside that the sting of death is sin. Remember in the communion liturgy's great thanksgiving, which we say every month, these words are included. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. The two great enemies that Christ overcomes, sin and death, 
share a common result in separation and severed relationships between God and humanity, between people. Sin even results in a severed relationship within oneself when we're alienated from who we are meant to be. I think Christ's death removes the sting of death in four ways. I want to say a word about each. First, we do not die alone. One of the especially challenging aspects of the current practicing of physical distancing has been seeing the number of gravely ill and even dying people whose families have not been permitted to be present with them. I've heard how sweet and kind many extremely busy healthcare workers have been in helping connect families by FaceTime and in trying to fill the gap. Nevertheless, it's been quite distressing for many families, and I'm sure it would be for me as well. That's how much our human bonds mean to us, to think about people dying alone. I'm comforted because I believe that the divine spirit reaches out for people in that boundary area between life and death. Sometimes, uh, in my observation, when people have a, a, a kind of lengthy dying process, and I've noticed uh, when being with them that even when they're conscious, their minds start to seem like they are in another place. Even people without dementia seeing things that I can't see, sometimes so real to them that they reach out. From what I've observed, it's a time and an environment of peace. Jesus' words in John's Gospel in the 14th chapter, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, so I may take you there, so that where I am, you will be also. We do not die alone. We do not disappear into nothingness. There was not much uh, specificity to what either Jesus or Paul said about the form of existence that Jesus' followers assume after death. Paul describes uh, spiritual bodies in terms of what they are not more than what they are. They do not rot, they do not die, but they are real. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he says they're built by God, not by human hands. Jesus simply says, where I am, there you will be also. The author of 1 John perhaps says it best when he admits, what we will be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And in seeing him, we will be purified. Now, you might find the lack of clarity about such an important matter as our eternal home frustrating, and perhaps I should too, but I actually find it reassuring. Why? Well, I've, I've been present with a few people uh, when they die, and it's consistent with my experience 
of not being able to accurately capture and maybe not even sure that I should try. Sometimes it seems that something numinous, mysterious, otherworldly happens. The theologian David Tracy refers to experiences like this as limit experiences, when one encounters realities that defy our ability to measure and label, define, control, test, and capture them. There are times when the mysteriousness of human existence shines through ordinary events, and they call for us to answer with faith, hope, and love, and they require interpretation. Their truths can only be hinted at with metaphors, and they're best expressed by art and story, poetry, music, and then only imperfectly. The third way, death has lost its sting. We are not radically separated. Every time Christians say the Apostles' Creed, we profess belief in the communion of saints. The term communion of saints refers to the whole community of followers of Christ, living and dead, past, present, future. When we gather and worship, we praise God with believers we cannot see. When we celebrate Holy Communion, we feast with past, present, and future disciples of Christ. We experience the communion of saints, the community of believers, living and dead. And this faith community stretches beyond space and time. We believe that the church is the communion of saints, and as believers, we all belong to it. The scriptures don't attempt to answer every question that people naturally have about their connection to loved ones who have died. In my own experiences and in those I've learned from others, I know that many people continue to experience glimmers of real connection with loved ones, and those experiences can bring great comfort, encouragement, and even direction. We can't command those experiences to happen, but we can be open to, appreciate, and enjoy what they are, should they occur. Finally, death has lost its sting because the one who reigns in heaven is merciful, forgiving, and understands the suffering, the frailty, and the temptations of human life. The scriptures proclaim that God has made the crucified Jesus who was raised the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one who welcomes us into the presence of God. If there's any significance to this life we live and any continuity between this life and the spiritual body of life beyond death, then the choices we've made and the life we've lived come with us. And not all of that is good. We'll need to be purified so that others can stand to be with us. And so we'll be able to stand, be able to, stand to be with ourselves for eternity. But Christ's self-giving love is a purifier. We can place our hope in that. So Christ is risen. Death has lost its sting. Christ is risen. I thought it's so important this Easter especially to talk about death and life beyond death. There's a great deal of anxiety and tension in the air these days. And I know that some of it comes from an awareness that the possibility of death 
might be closer to our loved ones and us than we'd previously thought. Intellectually, we know that everyone dies sometime, but in our society, we don't have much exposure to the experience of death, which is mostly tucked away in institutions where people have been slowly fading from the sight of all but those who hold them most precious. In some ways, the pandemic has brought our world closer to that of people in Jesus' day and to that of many others still today all around the world who lack access to good preventative and curative health care. We too are now more aware of the fragility of life and the ever-present possibility of death. During Lent, Many in the congregation watched a beautiful day in the neighborhood and were able to witness the philosophy of Mr. Rogers at work through his relationship with a journalist whose estranged father was dying. One of the principles of Mr. Rogers' philosophy was anything that is mentionable is manageable. I would encourage you to have a conversation with your friends and loved ones about death, about what you wonder might be our situation after death. I don't know how, uh, how you might start that conversation, but if you want, I will allow you to borrow my joke to introduce the topic, since I had to find a way to introduce that difficult topic too. Maybe in the midst of that conversation, Maybe you could share your faith and listen to what others think about the life of the Spirit. I'm confident that Christ is access to God's eternal presence, but I know that people of many other faiths and beliefs also have access to God. I share what I know and believe. The atmosphere these days is thick with tension and uncertainty and anxiety, and it's not just the fear of death. You can fill in the blanks to name so many different reasons. Massive economic disruption, people are worried about food, social isolation, and hypervigilance about contamination, it's such a new thing. Suspension of many of the patterns that organize our everyday lives and uncertainty about how long this all will last, and when can we return to normal? Will normal be the same? What worries you these days? I want to think with you for a moment about the day of Jesus' resurrection that we heard recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. It's quite a dramatic event. Two women go to mourn and be near the tomb where Jesus had been buried two days earlier. But then, in rapid succession, the ground beneath their feet trembles. A glowing white-robed angel descends before their eyes, rolls the stone away in front of the tomb, and sits on top of it. The Roman guards become so frightened that they freeze like deer caught in the headlights. And then the angel gives a bit of a speech. Don't be afraid. The crucified one has been raised and is already on his way to Galilee. Go tell his disciples that they need to get going to meet him there. The women are frightened and happy but go to do as they're asked. And on the way, they run into Jesus, who says, Greetings. They fall to his feet and worship him. But then the most significant thing that always surprises me is that Jesus is kind of like, mm, Greetings. Go. 
go, 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 go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. Get them back home to the place where our work all got started. It hits me every time. He is going to go meet them there, and he's going to give them there the job to go out and preach his news into all the world. He shares with them his authority, and these are the people who just days before have denied, misunderstood, and abandoned him. Why would Jesus have trusted them and sent them out into a world so ill-equipped? The answer is, they were not ill-equipped because the resurrection is not just about the possibility for life eternal. It is also about the spirit being broken open and shared in a new way. God's loving, forgiving, creative, and empowering spirit sending us out into the world, unprepared as we are, to take authority to share good news. Right now, as part of our world is kind of on hold. And there are so many questions about when we will get back to normal. Perhaps we Easter people of resurrection hope should be paying attention now, getting ready, looking around and thinking and praying. Will we want only to get back to normal? Or will we want a new normal? What do you notice during these times that is interesting, fascinating, that has emerged as a result of this enforced pause for so many? What do you notice that you'd like to bring back into normal? Spending more time with your family? Getting more hands-on teaching children? Having to talk with your spouse a little bit more about how to manage all that? Walking more? Being gentler to the environment? As a whole people, we've learned some things we might be able to take with us into a better normal. As many conversations as I've heard about how terribly difficult it would be to get people to change habits that would help us all improve our environment, Lo and behold, when we all believed it had to be done for everyone's safety, we have many of us changed habits dramatically. Could we do that in order to improve the environment? I was amazed at how quickly and delighted uh, homeless people who have been on the streets for years were sheltered when we decided we had to do it for public safety. Could we take that kind of resolve, Easter people, into us, into a new normal? What about the attention that people have been giving to remember to check on others' well-being and the intentionality we've brought to creating community in a whole variety of different ways? What will we learn as a result of having the cloth ripped off our healthcare system to see the desperate inequalities exposed? Will we try to create a better normal as a result of this disruption? Are we thinking differently about the burdens on future generations as we see young people 
oftentimes the first to be laid off in their service sector and jobs. Easter people, we should be thinking, praying, and asking now with the help of God's Spirit, what can we help make into a new normal? Right now, the best way we can love and serve one another is mostly to learn how to care about each other from a distance. That will not always be the case. And so now, we need to think and pray and vision. The future is full of uncertainty. It has potential for great peril, but also new promise. I felt greatly burdened about bringing the Easter message this week. And so I confess, I prayed about it as I always do, but I decided to pull out a secret weapon this week and I talked to my mother, who many of you know passed away this year. I said, Mom, I don't know what to say to help people understand this wonderful and perilous time and what faith would have us do. And my mother, it wasn't exactly her voice, but I went to sleep not having the answer. And I woke up and I heard her say, well, some things can only be expressed in music, not in words. She said, sing it to him. I said, Mom, I don't like to sing in public. And then I knew this was my mother's voice because she said, it's not about you. So I leave you with this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Happy Easter to you and your family. I look forward to seeing you again.